Now we're going to hear from Michael O'Fallon, who is the founder of Sovereign Nations. He's presented in a variety of panel discussions and forums, including Sovereign Nations Convention in Atlanta. And he's going to tell us a little bit more about what he does and how we can connect with him. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael O'Fallon. God bless you. Well, yes, it is confusing. If you had seen the Washington Post article or the Religious News Service article, you would think that I'm actually Ulrich Goldfinger, a James Bond villain who's responsible for funding the alt-right or those that are in opposition to actually what is happening right now in the Christian church and because that's where the greatest threat is in terms of our understanding of things. We understand that our civilization is built upon Judeo-Christian values. And we also understand that without the gospel, without the understanding of the Christian faith, without the presence of Christ in everything that we do, we understand that really the lampstand will be removed. And we understand now that, my gosh, if you were to just talk 30 years ago, and we'll talk about this in just a second, is that how much things have actually changed across our nation. But let's do something mundane first. If you can please take out, please, your automaton. And if you could please go to the settings and where it says airplane mode or also sounds and helps if you just can't afford to get away from your addiction for a few minutes, please turn that off and then we're good to go. Another thing I also want to do because um, right now I am fully prepared with uh, a couple of cups worth of NyQuil in me after last night. So I, now I know what it's like to be a Presbyterian preaching on Sunday morning. But sorry, couldn't help. And to, and to further this cause, I want to, just for our own sake, there's a lot of different scary bugs and things going around the world. I don't think I have one right now. I'm, I am married to a Chinese woman, but that, that doesn't count. But she hasn't been to China in many years. But if you can, um, Ryan Dick, where are you? Ryan, can you come up on stage for a second? We're going to explain to you how we do a, a, a handshake, and this is what we do in our tours and conferences and so forth. And basically, this is the way that we stop things from spreading. Now, we understand that Baptists are a very loving group of people. They love the Lord, they love each other. But what we're gonna do is this. This is our handshake from here on out, okay? So this is how it normally goes and this is how it'll end up. We're gonna go and do this, but we're gonna do that instead, okay? <laughs> it's gonna be a little bit of the elbow bump instead, or you can just do it the Presbyterian way and just say, hello, how are you? Good to see you. <laughs> now, Ryan, I say this, I'm picking on Presbyterians. Ryan is Dr. R.C. Sproul's grandson. Oh, here you go, look the head. Yes. I wish I could get applause just being for somebody's grandson. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Well, let, let's get serious now. Let's talk about a few things. First of all, I want you to be in prayer for your pastor. And while I was joking before about what has happened to me uh, since the time that I came out in regards to what I know about what's happening within evangelicalism, what's happening within Roman Catholicism, what's happening within every single major religion right now in the United States, what's happening in every affinity group, what's happening in knitting clubs, what's happening in hiking groups, what's happening in the medical profession, what's happening in education, the STEM fields, what's happening in geography. It's all happening at the same time. So while we talk about things as how it relates to our Christian faith, as how it relates to the gospel, we have to understand something, is that what and who is pushing things forward within every single facet, every single affinity group, you can't turn on the TV and watch a Razor commercial, right? right. You can't open up a bag of Oreo cookies, and I'm not joking, without the packages having a gender pronoun attached to it. This was just this past year. There's a reason for that. It's all happening at the same time. It's happening in some denominations much more quickly than others. Baptists, for the most part, we have a tendency to be much more discerning, to be Marines. Like, how about, do you have any proof for that? Where is that in Scripture? See, Baptists have a history of that. Presbyterians, too. But as we'll see later, I don't want to just pick on, you know, I'm going to do this purposely, not just try to look at the Southern Baptist Convention, 
I also want to look at what's happening in other faiths that are actually very closely related to what we are doing and have you understand that the exact same play that's happening within our own denomination, within our own faith group, is happening everywhere. Much of it, as you have heard, and I've changed my presentation this morning, others have faithfully been able to explain to you what cultural Marxism is, help you understand where many of these concepts have come from, help you to understand some of the ideologies behind these things. We could go back even further into Walter Rauschenbusch, Samuel Zane Batten, and Walter Rauschenbusch basically is the man that, that pushed forth the whole, the whole concept of the social gospel. And this is before liberation theology, especially in its Catholic sense with Gutierrez, was actually formed. But we have to understand that within the last 200 to 300 years, a great light has shined upon the world. And one of the main reasons behind that is because in America, in Great Britain, people understood that the most important, the most valuable thing for them in their entire life, the most, the thing that will actually accrue greater wealth for them, I won't just call it a thing, it is the gospel, the good news. But there are dark clouds that have come, and it's come everywhere. Within the Southern Baptist Convention, the PCA, the EV Free Groups, within the OPC in different forms, within Lutheran groups, within Wesleyan groups, it's everywhere. Within Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as CRU, has become a militant liberation theology, postmodern driven organization. Now, I don't say these things lightly, and I don't say these things because I look up on some conspiracy websites or anything like that. I say these things because I was in the room. I've been in the rooms where this was introduced and where some men accepted it. It's capitulation. This is all going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing that you can do to stop what's going to happen as we move into the fourth industrial revolution. So you have two choices. Be rolled underneath by a steamroller, ideologically, or maybe you can exist in some form. You know, I remember something about Daniel chapter 3. And Nebuchadnezzar, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego... We will not bow down. Amen. Well, the fire is prepared for you right over here. If you're going to go down on... I mean, think about this. I know, again, pray for your pastor. If anybody stands up against this, you'll find out that you're a racist, bigoted, misogynistic caveman that somehow doesn't have the right understanding of Scripture in the way that now we understand it, a la Tim Keller. Sorry, I didn't say that. But we have to understand, it's time to speak. 2015, here in Memphis, you had a time to speak. It's for a very good man who is a client of mine, I, full disclosure, who I love dearly, Vody Bauckham. Vody Bauckham. Five other men, I'm not going to name all of them, Ed Stetzer, and some others that were there on stage that decided to attack Bodie because he said all of the things that Mickey has said, that Virgil has said, that everyone has said so far in this conference, what Daryl Bernard Harrison is going to say. And he said it with confidence, and it was five on one. Wow. If you want to go back in YouTube and see that, watch it. If there was a, a moment in history where I knew that I'm going to have to say something about this now, that was it. And Bodhi and I both understand that very well. And there is a moment. Now, my organization, we can edit this out of the tape later, my organization has taken millions of dollars worth of hits. I see Sovereign Nation is only a few years old. I did it because nobody else was doing it. Thankfully now, Warren Nab, thank you, brother, 
for doing what you're doing, having this passion for this. Thank you for Daryl. I met Daryl through this entire experience. Because Daryl was somebody that was out there on the internet and Facebook. It's like, holy cow, somebody else gets it. So my job was now to let Daryl Bernard Harrison rise. That was my job. Because everybody looked at me as if I was crazy. Are you telling me that critical race theory and intersectionality, postmodern concepts of Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault are going to be coming in? No, my, come on. I said, well, let's go to the Gospel Coalition website. And you can take the eight-part series training on how to view and see the Bible through the eyes of Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault, which are, if you want to talk about critical race theory, remember that many of these things, both from Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw-Williams, Kimberly Crenshaw alone, that these concepts were formed as a tool. It's a tool, not an analytical tool. It's a tool. It's a tool of destruction. It's a tool of deconstruction. So you are going to deconstruct something. And intersectionality is a tool of construction. Now, not now, because we've all turned our phones off, but when you have an opportunity to look on Google, and you open up Google, look up postmodern architecture, and you will see impossibly standing buildings in all misshapes and weirdness only possible because of now our methodologies and our scientific understanding of metallurgy and other things that can actually make these things stand up. But logically, they can't. They, many of them go against the laws of physics. Well, now you know what intersectionality is. That's what we're in. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? John chapter 9. This is from the King James. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night cometh. When no man can work. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you've entrusted us with your gospel, with this precious gift that is not only sustainable here on this earth in how we should live and how we should relate to one another, that we deserve nothing, that we deserve your wrath. Lord, I pray that all of us that come from so many different backgrounds, Lord, I pray that somehow we can be united again, not through social constructs, not through political means, but Lord, we can be united by the indwelling Holy Spirit, by the imputation of your grace that we do not deserve. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand that. And come away from this conference equipped to do what is necessary. Not just to save ourselves, but to give you the glory. No matter what that means. Lord, help us to understand us. And Lord, help us all to be oncologists who will stop this cancer. Lord Jesus, whatever that means, whether it be monetarily, whether that being even our lives and our reputations, let us all put it on the line for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of this civilization. We ask this in your most holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the NyQuil is working. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, 
how to stop the progressive drift of the evangelical church. And what I had just stated a moment ago in regards to how we must stay, save what we would call today's church, and I understand that that has ex an extremely wide amount of different um, variations within America, uh, within Western civilization. Some are not worth saving, by the way. The gospel is worth saving. So as we go through this, just as we were talking about Jan Daniel chapter 3, let's be prepared to go through the fire and have that fire burn off those things. And even some of the things that we brought along with us traditionally to focus again on the purity and the saving ability of Christ. Not for the gospel of grievance, because that's what you have. You have the gospel, which is no good news at all, of grievance. You also have the gospel of the word that was used, I believe Nietzsche would go back to this word because he didn't have one that was comparable in the German. Resentment. Resentment. A curdled bitterness. You owe me something. I can say as my abuelo and abuelo were from Santiago de Cuba, and they came from Cuba here to the United States seeking freedom and liberty. They were coming away from a system that of course, didn't just want to control your pocketbook, it wanted to control your mind. My wife and her family that escaped China ended up in the Kowloon province in, in Hong Kong and then came to the United States. It's valuable to be here. We become jaded though, don't we? And when others are around us are encouraging us to look at what somebody else has that I don't have and I deserve it, if we were to play that game ad absurdum, logically, to its logical conclusions. All of us would, I mean, I'm half Irish too. I mean, Cromwell was not very helpful to the Irish people. You know, should I be going back to, to Great Britain for the reparations to make sure that our castle, the O'Fallon castle, is set back up again and so forth that they demolished? Should I be doing that? No, of course not. But there's many privileges that you have that maybe I don't. You know, I know Pastor Danny has tall privilege which, even though I have an excellent 12-foot jump shot, by the way, I think I still have it. It was years ago. He would, of course, be the one that would probably dominate me in a game of one-on-one. -on -one. Now, that privilege, though, doesn't help him very much when he ends up with a coach seat on Delta. And all of a sudden, I have the privilege because I'm only five foot eight. So we have to start thinking through these things logically and see where we actually end up. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to get off my NyQuil moment and get on my notes here, and we'll go much faster, okay? But if you are a Bible-believing, gospel-believing Christian, do you remember a time when we as a whole seem to be able to agree on societal essentials? I mean, do you remember, and not that long ago at all, maybe 10 or 15 years ago when nearly 90% of Christians believed in the essential priorities of our, of our American society. I mean, yeah, we, we had all different stripes. We understand that. We didn't agree on everything. I mean, of course, there could be theological disagreements within our camps such as soteriology, eschatology, pneumatology, etc. As a great whole, the Christian Evangelical Center was very much together on what we as Christians within the pale of orthodoxy, if you will, thought to be important to us. Safeguarding the family would be one. The promotion of societal morality. The universal Christian ambition of being against the slaughter of unborn children. Why is that even up for discussion? As we heard earlier this morning, respect for authority. Well, but the authorities actually represent something that we all agree upon the law, right? It's not just a question of, well, he he's a cop, therefore he, he, he represents something that is against me because I want to do something that he doesn't want me to do. No, it's a question of coming back to the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our legal structure that we have set up. That's what you're against. So most of the folks right now, they're not against the cops. 
What they're being ginned up to do, in other words, is to be against the actual legal structures that are the foundation of our country. Respect for elders. Okay, Boomer? No, I mean, seriously. Now I'm, what do you call it, a Generation X. But if you can't learn something from someone who's had many, many more years than you have on this earth, and you're going to dismiss them with a casual okay boomer? The encouragement of marriage. Did you know that teen pregnancy rates, remember when, maybe you remember in your churches when true love waits and all these other things, this was the big thing 20, 25 years ago, right? Kids, now look, we, we don't want to have relations within our church when we're teenagers. We want to wait until marriage. Guess what's happened over the last several years? Do you know where teenage pregnancy rates are? I mean, they've dipped nearly 70%. It's an unintended consequence. No, it's an intentional consequence. You have to understand other things are happening as those that are the elites shape our world around us. Because the thing that they're after is autonomy. The thing they're after is a father, a mother, children underneath, a hierarchical structure that is actually the basis of what our country is. The unalienable rights of life and liberty, the importance of telling the truth, the rejection of self-victimization, and the promotion of personal independence. The rejection of Marxism. That was common 30 years ago. This was the thing, is, is that you want to make sure that you did not support what that was, because what that represented was a loss of your liberty. And that's what the United States is all about. Now, this was just a few years ago. You know, I remember those days well. These were universally accepted, common, accepted truths just 10 to 15 years ago in the United States of America. Well, man, wrote Aristotle more than 2,300 years ago, is a political animal. Today, that seems particularly evident. The constant proliferation of mass social movements, the ever-present yet radical nature of contemporary political commentary on all forms of mass media. The constant demand to engage in a seemingly Maoist form of cultural revolution of out with the old, boomers, in with the new. There's nothing we can learn from you with the destruction of every significant part of the glue that holds our civilization together is under constant attack. The answer to false crisis moments and to fertile fallacies, and I'll refer to that again later, is always the same. Apply a deconstructive solvent that unsticks the glue that has held hierarchical bonds of our civilization together. The 24-hour progressive news cycle and our penchant for politicizing everything, literally, all lend prima facie support to the idea that humans are helplessly activists. That's what we're here to do, is to be activists. But Aristotle was not simply observing that we are all inherently drawn towards boycotts, protests, and culture wars. He was observing, quite rightly, that we as humans are strongly inclined towards social connection. People need some sense of collective commitment, not just individual liberty, to be fulfilled, and these commitments must be forged in either what is correspondently true in moral virtue, or in some sense of agreed national identity. Or in our case, we are bound together by our confessions. We are bound together by the fact that we believe that Christ and the gospel is preeminent in our lives, correct? Okay, so we're getting down to the how now. We've heard about the what. We're going to get into the how and why. This was true in the Christian communities that held personal accountability and personal holiness as the guiding principles of society, and even up to the three branches of government within the United States. Think about that for a second. Swearing our oaths, so help me God, with our hand firmly upon the standard of immutable truth. Or in the case of the new progressive movement, what is self-created, even sometimes even fallacious, moral virtue. Think about some of the things that you've heard said, is that I don't care about what is factually true. I believe what is morally true. Well, 
the two should not be in conflict. Miss Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now understand, I, I, I honestly, and I mean this seriously, I, I feel for this woman, I feel for Ilan Omar, I feel for Rashida Tlaib, they're just on script. The Justice Democrats created by Zach Exley, they're on script. This understanding of a human nature lies at the very core of what we call community. This is where we are today. Some of you might be from other churches, but we share one thing in common. A social perspective emphasizing virtue in civil society, largely transcending the traditional divisions of life of left and right. And that used to be the case. Well, I'm a, if you could say 40 years, I'm a Democrat. I kind of lean a little bit more towards, you know, some of the social actions and so forth. And, you know, maybe I'm a Kennedy Democrat. Well, that's not the case anymore. But let's say someone would like to overthrow the current hierarchical structure that constitutes our society, our nation, and our civilization. How would they do it? What would be the strategic framework they would use to completely destroy the Judeo-Christian framework that serves as the bedrock foundation of our nation nation and our society? Well, let's first realize that our nation is built upon Judeo-Christian principles, which are founded upon individual liberty, autonomy, and with the concept of our being a democratic republic. For the people, for and by the people. Great Britain has just kind of discovered some of this. They're not exactly a republic. They are still of the queen. They're subjects of the queen. But they've understood, you better respect what we decide. Now, knowing, appreciating, and understanding this does not make you a Christian nationalist, by the way. It makes you cognizant of the genesis of the construct of our law, rights, liberties, and responsibilities in the United States of America. When the Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident, it specifically refers to a Romans chapter 1 sense of man through general revelation and created in the Imago Dei. The founders understood this, and in their attempt to frame the new nation with the dignity and liberty of the individual and the family unit, father, mother, children, as the autonomous unit of self-governance in our society. This is why for so long, it was up to the parents about how a child should be cared for. It was up to the parents about how a child should be educated, not up to the state. The concept of the family and a family that is governed by a Christian framework of morality is what the concept of the United States was built upon. The idea of America. And other nations are starting to be attracted very much to that idea. So let's go ahead and let's pause just for a moment. Let's fast forward a few hundred years or so. Let's say that you really wanted to deconstruct this. Let's say that this is something that's not helping you. And you really wanted to take it down to even the most fundamental of all of our human governmental hierarchies, the family. And that is a hierarchy. How would you do it? What would be your plan? Well, it's been done successfully for many years. And most citizens of the nations don't realize that they have had their entire nation and way of life ripped out from underneath them until it's too late. It's the truth. So... What is being done to deconstruct our nation? Well, for example, Van Jones. Are you familiar with who Van Jones is? Van Jones was the former green job czar for the Obama administration. This is what he said. Our governing move is three things, top-down, bottom-up, and inside-out. Top-down, bottom-up, and inside-out. We need to work on the middle and the bottom. Government will handle the top-down, but it's also bottom-up and inside-out. So now you're challenged as you leave here. He was speaking at a conference. Your challenge is to take care of that bottom part and that inside-out part, the heart part. And that's the most important part. Now, if you don't believe me on this, uh, if we want to turn up the audio on on the laptop, please. Here's Van saying it himself. Change has to be top down, bottom up, and inside out. Uh, it's got to be top down in terms. You know, we can't just leave uh, 
uh, the federal government in the hands of our enemies and expect to make a lot of progress. Of our enemies. Um, so even if we can't get everything done that we want to get done out of D.C., we, we, we certainly can't let other people have the, the levels of control in D.C. But also, you can see right now, D.C. can't do much by itself. You have to have that bottom-up movement, and that's what's been missing, is that bottom-up sense of movement to get the best out of D.C. And what's, cops, what's stopping that is the inside-out piece. Okay, so what he's talking about here is this is not just something that's come out of the top of, of Mr. Jones' head. Now, understand he's an extremely intelligent man. He knows what he's doing, okay? This is a plan. You can actually see it at the Royal Academy of Sciences. Um, it's online. It's been there for many years. This is in Great Britain. It's an understanding of how, if you were to deconstruct society, what you would do. Number one, your first goal that you can see here is top-down political change that relates to social and economic structures. Okay, so you've heard everything along the way, and we now have a Democratic Party, which is obviously avowedly socialist. Get your desired elected office, uh, officials into office. So whoever your candidates are that are absolutely in line with what needs to happen, get those people in elected offices. That's very important. So the key features of this are impact at scale, usually involuntary. In other words, this is dry and sciencey language to say that someone's going to have an executive order and it's just going to happen. Now notice that when a Democrat is in the presidency, those things just happen. When a Republican, like our current president, is in, they fight them every step of the way because they understand how this works. Often relies on policy gains followed by legislative and regulatory change, which is what you see. What the current administration is doing is rolling back all the regulations, correct? But if you put things in place that demand in education, in energy, in every facet of your life, that everything must be going towards a goal, more or less like a green energy kind of concept, everything is moving towards that socialistic structure. Bottom up was the other thing that Van had talked about. Social change created by, encur by encouraged crisis opportunities or mass reflexive action. And they're both the same thing. If you don't have a crisis, create a crisis. If you wish to change something within whatever governmental structure it is, create the crisis itself. Create your own reflexive events, and reflexive means a reflexive loop. In other words, you can start off with something which is fallacious, but if you tell enough people and get everybody talking about it, it becomes the problem that convert the uninvolved to the involved. Key features, specific con contextual, usually voluntary, but often need-driven need by narratives, driven by necessary fertile fallacies, okay? Next part, inside out. This changing and eliminating uh, binding agents, such as faith, national pastimes, patriotism. So when we say inside out, that's the internal thing that actually keeps the two sides together, usually when you, you have a nation that has agreed upon their founding documents and how their legal structures are kept together. So when you have a key feature like faith, that most people understand things. There's, when you have revival meetings, think about how this was over the past 150 years, you'd have the great revivals, the great awakenings, if you will. It's because pretty much everybody was you know, in some way culturally Christian. They understood what you were talking about when you talked about God, Jesus, the gospel. They understood those things. National pastimes, sports. If you can affect there, if you can get somebody to take a knee, if you can have everybody talking about oppression and how the structures that we have in America, I just can't stand for them. But yet, when it comes to criticizing China, well, Let's back off of that. That could really hurt our sales and our honorariums. Patriotism. So if you say the things like we're saying right now, like this past week there was a Twitter mob that descended upon me calling me a Christian white nationalist and a kinist. My wife, again, would be very surprised to hear that. She's Chinese. Um, and as well, understanding that within my own life, uh, I was half Cuban, so I'd spend... A lot of my time, I grew up basically around Cayo Ocho and Northwest 2nd Street. My brother and I were the only red-headed kids anywhere around for miles. So I grew up in environments that were very different to what my appearance was. 
And when I'm with my wife, uh, I'm usually the only Anglo guy in the room. So what? It's not about my skin color or the appearance of my hair or whatever it might be, my mannerisms. It's about who I am. Am I conscientious? Am I demanding something for myself? Okay. Let's move on. So within that structure, you have top-down desired elected officials and directors in office to enact legal postmodern change, bottom-up reflexive events, fertile fallacies that create feedback loops, create opportunities of crisis, events to reinforce postmodern concepts and inside-out, reinforce desired postmodern change in faith, cultural events, and community gatherings. Okay, now let's just go back through this again, okay? So we can understand really what's going down. Top down, think about this. You're ensuring your progressive candidates are placed or elected into office no matter what the cost. And if somebody else is put into office, no matter what the cost, make sure you get them out. No holes barred. So after you've gone through a massive investigation that was shown to be fallacious, and after you've gone through a massive impeachment series that was shown to be fallacious, start it up again. Make sure that you cripple them. Ensure that these office holders push for and pass legislation that either nullifies the Constitution of the United States and Bill of Rights or other laws meant to protect the rights of self-governance of our citizens. Ensure that your candidates do whatever is necessary to push for concepts such as eugenics. Now, eugenics, within that would be the concept of abortion. Within that would be the concept such as was floated by, um, again, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of the Justice Democrats, that, you know... Really, what is the quality of life past 80 anyway? Why should we be even worrying about that? The same things are being said in Britain, too, under the NHS by the Labor Party. Intersectionality as well, and we'll get more into that a little bit later. Grievance legislation and the ad absurdum conclusions of the unconstitutional hate crime laws. Now think about it. If you're looking at someone's intent, the hate that is behind what they do, and if we were to apply that equally you would have all sorts of folks on all sorts of different sides not able to function at all, okay? So again, that is the top-down and the bottom-ups. The bottom-up, never let a crisis go to waste. And when there is no crisis available, create a crisis. Create organizations that will balkanize the country, all while insisting on equity. Now, when someone says equity, remember, they're not talking about equality that is a definition game being played. Equity means the guarantee of equal outcomes. So this really was very prescient to all of us when back in 2015, there was the effort to make sure that air traffic controllers, that they used equity policy within there. You need to have equal amounts of the different ethnicities, the different genders, etc. within air. I don't care if, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest here. I, I don't care if it is a lesbian, Eskimo, one-eyed, you know, short person, okay? That is the air traffic controller. If they're the best air traffic controller who really knows what they're doing, great. Give them that raise. I don't care. But it's the meritocracy and the concept of meritocracy that is being dissolved at this point. We will edit that out later. Okay. <laughs> So you're guaranteeing these things, but remember that the whole thing is to make sure that you have a movement against whatever the cause du jour is, maybe for a moment that is combined with a fertile fallacy. Now, what is a fertile fallacy? You might want to write this down. Fertile fallacies always contain a kernel of truth, like there's a, well, yeah, maybe I can see some of that, but at the core are meant to spurn reflexive action as desired by those that seek societal or political change. Okay, so you can probably think of a couple of fertile fallacies. You can look at some of the big movements like the um, March for Our Lives. I mean, is, was there a problem with gun violence? Absolutely there's a problem. Is the solution then to make sure that every gun in America is confiscated and taken away from people that own them, legally and, and, and so forth? No. Black Lives Matter, we could talk about that for quite a long time. Of course Black Lives Matter. Of course there should be equal protection under the law. Of course everyone should have the same opportunities. There's no question about that. Latino matters, lives matter as well. White lives matter. Asian lives matter. Everybody's life matters. 
The question is, do we have a system that's in place that allows everyone to have equal opportunity? Now, it's true that some of us have had to come up of, from less means, myself included. Sometimes that makes you the strongest, though. I remember Vody Bauckham talking about the school that he used to be at, and they were ranked very highly in the state, I think, of Texas. And they were going to play the, the wealthiest team, you know, that had all the newest of all equipment and so forth. And they said, well, aren't you nervous about playing them? I mean, they're a powerhouse. And they said, no, you bring that, and you get to see what we're going to bring to you. Yeah, you bring all that fancy equipment and so forth, and you're going to see what's going to happen. It's that kind of resolve that builds character, that builds strength, and in the end, makes someone even stronger than those that had it easy. We're starting to get rid of that, aren't we? Okay. So, it contains a kernel of truth, but at the very core, meant to spur reflexive action. In other words, to make something happen. Uh, you can see several, several different instances of this throughout society as desired by those that seek societal or political change. Okay, so, think of all the different things that you've seen that are examples that uh, have happened in the United States as well as Europe over the years. Uh, in Europe, when this massive amount of migration was happening in 2013, 2014, and 2015, the same time, by the way, that was happen happening to us, you would start talking about the, the children that are coming in. But, there were children, yes, and it's horrible that some people would pull their, their children through these circumstances in Syria all the way up through the Mediterranean, trying to get them into Italy, trying to get them into Greece, and so forth. And it was awful. But the purpose was to allow to have a complete change, to create intersectionality, in essence. So we can also see this in other things such as our culture. There is, tell me a movie franchise that we had all enjoyed in the 70s and 80s and 90s that hasn't now been changed completely on, in an understanding of creating a different hierarchy. Now, most you know, passionately with me as a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s, it was Star Wars. Now it's Woke Wars. And so where even Kathleen Kennedy, the director of Disney, wore a shirt that says, the force is feminine. So all of a sudden, this is not about what the giant meta-narrative was that George Lucas created. Now it's about creating societal change. Okay. But that's the whole concept, is you want to make sure you destroy all these things what people used to care about and bring us to something quite new. Well, let's talk about faith. There is faith. The mainline denominations, Methodists, Lutherans, Episcopalians, are pretty much already gone, right? You know, they're... They've already gone down this road many, many years ago, with congregations shrinking exponentially. But the evangelicals, you know, the evangelicals, they are an active and inspired bunch. What a powerful conservative voting bloc they are. Now remember, here's one thing that you can write down. Very important. This is a political move disguised as a theological move. This has nothing to do with actual theology and ensuring that more people are brought to faith in Christ if we can integrate our churches. There is no ethnicity that has not had a powerful example of the gospel. And to even think that what's necessary is to bring Latino congregations together, Asian congregations together, African-American congregations together, with white congregations somehow is going to help that gospel, what are you doing? Are you saying that they need to help up? You want to tell that to the Asian community? Where the gospel's been exploding? All over Asia? You want to tell that to the African-American community? You want to talk about what group of people, in, in terms of their ethnicity, have been brought to the Reformed understanding of the gospel, have been brought to biblical understanding of the gospel, and as well, I mean, truly being able to understand great lengths of hermeneutics, it has been the African-American community because they were used for so long. And now they came out of that and going, oh, I know what that is. And now you're going to say, oh, no, you need to come back to it. This is a political move. Okay. Now, critical race theory. Racism, in, in essence, is a relentless daily fact of life in American society. And the ideology of racism, 
and white supremacy are ingrained in the political and legal structures to be nearly unrecognizable. Racism is a constant, not aberrant occurrence in America. In other words, the normal thing is racism. Why? Because racism isn't about how someone feels about another ethnicity. It's now the power structure. It's again a change of definition. Because racism is an ingrained feature of the landscape, it appears ordinary and natural to persons in the culture. <coughs> in other words, I have no idea that I'm racist. No idea. Because I live in white spaces. And because that's the social construct all around us. It's the hegemony that exists. So there's no way that I would even know that I'm a racist, but I am. And the constant thing that you'll hear is, yes, that you'll be racist to the day that you die. Now, let's not just pick on the Southern Baptists. Let's look at what's happening in the Presbyterian Church in America. The Presbyterian Church in America is the most conservative of the president, uh, I'm sorry, of the Presbyterian uh, split peas, if you will, denominations. The OPC, yes, would be more conservative. They have another introduction of how this is affecting them. It's not critical race theory. It's critical gender studies. It's entering into the OPC by way of feminism. And why is that? Because simply there aren't enough variants in ethnicities within their congregations and within their denominations to make that effective. So it's got to come in another way. It's the same play. All right. I'm going to let you be introduced to the moderator of the General Assembly from a year ago, Alexander Jun. Yun. So this is the gentleman who acted as we would have our president of the SPC acting as the moderator for the PCA. And also then I'll show you the person who was the fourth moderator going back the year before. And, we and what's fascinating to me is if you know anything about critical race theory, right? this is a concept that I would apply in, in education. I consider myself a critical race theorist. Um, you can be, and a Christian at the same time, yes. Uh, but I confess the same to you, that I'm not just, that I'm not a recovered racist. I'm a recovering racist, just as, dare I say it, you are, everyone. Just as none of us can say, I'm a recovered sinner, and now I live the victorious Christian life. We're recovering, and we won't be finished until glory. The church's ambivalence about its commitment to interracial solidarity has been unmasked. Divisions, especially across racial lines, have been exposed, exposed, not created, exposed and amplified. For some, the church has become the least safe place for members of color. I can't take it anymore, sorry, there's much more. But what I wanted to show you is that within one denominational structure, you have an Asian man, uh, you have a white man. Uh, this would go on, there's another four or five minutes, so I know we're, we're short on time. Uh, but you would see that this doesn't matter on who it is that's presenting it, it's exactly the same model. So, again, that's the Presbyterian Church in America. And I want you to understand this, and I'm just going to skip past my notes here so we can get going. We need to understand that this same model that I was talking about that you would apply in a national uh, model or within a, um, a, a socially constructed model within, let's say, a country or a large organization, the same thing, the exact same play is happening within a denominational structure. How many members do we currently have? I mean, I know a lot of folks that are in their graves are being counted, but are within the Southern Baptist Convention. What's the current? It was about 16 million? somewhere in that neighborhood, well, that's a small nation. So if you're going to move something through, you're going to have to use, in a way to break down the hierarchical structure, a very similar kind of model. As a matter of fact, what you might want to have is another organization that's maybe a coalition that, uh, <laughs> that maybe is reaching many different seminaries, many different denominations. Maybe an organization that can take up most of this, the seminaries in the Southern Baptist Convention, they can take Moody Bible Institute, they can take Dallas Theological Seminary, they can take, they can take Reformed Theological Seminary, they can take nearly everything and all the parachurch organizations to be the hegemony that now 
creates the need for a change in what they say is a radical hegemony. Because if you're going to blame everything on power, how are you going to get the power back? By power. By force. So you're going to do to somebody else what you're accusing them of doing to you, even though they're unconscious of it. But you're going to consciously do that to the rest of the church. Okay. So the first thing you'd want to do is you'd want to make sure that you have a top-down political change for challenges relating to social economic structure. So you want to get your officials elected into office. So if you're talking about a denomination, make sure that you have everybody that's part of and with the same idea of what needs to happen politically within the organization to be into office. The same thing happens. Now the same thing happens no matter what if you were in, let's say, Zen Buddhists of America. Now that sounds crazy, right? They contacted us. After they saw the Trojan Horse video series, they said, look, the same thing's happening here. What do we do about this? Roman Catholics have, have contacted us. The same thing's happening, happening here. The bishop won't listen to us. What can we do? Can you help us? The same thing's happening. We just interviewed a woman in, in, in a group called Ravelry. Anybody know of Ravelry? Any ladies here? The arts and, yep, arts and crafts group. It's worldwide. It's happening there. The same play. So this is what happened. I interviewed an agnostic and an atheist uh, that were both part of other movements. One is Dr. Peter Bogosian at, P at Portland State University. And he is under fire right now because he is resisting this. He's resisting this entire change of wokeness. And as well, Dr. James Lindsay has now become basically the expert in being able to identify these things. They saw this actually happen within the American Atheist Group. The exact same play. And here's a little bit of that interview. I had in the back of my mind that if this were at the height of the New Atheist Movement, and when you know, we were extremely involved in that, if I wanted a plan, if I were going to design a plan to bring, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, I know to where bring you're going. the whole thing down. The whole, all of Christianity. Let's end Christianity. How do we do it? Yeah, how would you do it? Make them woke. Yep. It'll eat itself from the inside. Yep. And then I'd be. I'm not the old guard atheist that I, refer, I, I alluded to earlier. But if I were the old school angry atheist, it's like let's just throw rocks at the cathedral till it falls down. I'd start making woke <laughs> pastors and sending them in. Because they're going to tear everything apart. Yeah. Because they're going to make everything it's about identity. It's inevitable. And that's all they talk about. Where those in key positions in the denomination will either enhance scandals going on in their denomination or will create scandals ex nihilo, in other words, out of nothing, that will mirror almost exactly the same bottom-up fertile fallacies being pushed in the political government realm. Think of the hashtag MeToo movement. Now what do you have? The hashtag ChurchToo movement. It's absolutely identical. This directly affects the hierarchy of the church. It is the woke church movement. I mean, do you realize that the same play is happening in every organization, religious or not, across the entire United States? The racially tinged movements that demand that churches hold unconscious bias training this is actually happening in the Southern Baptist churches, folks, PCA churches everywhere. Or let's say to tear down monuments, replace names on buildings, erase histories of places of education, destroy it all. This is what Mao did in the Cultural Revolution. Tell folks in churches that what they used to rally against, abortion, infanticide, that this shouldn't be their greatest concern anymore. No, it's systemic racism. It's misogyny. It's nationalism. It's patriotism. That's what you've got to rally against. Out with the old, in with the new. And then, the middle. Inside out, changing and eliminating the binding agents of culture. So you want to make sure that you're changing the confessions or the Baptist faith, faith and message. You want to introduce things such as Resolution 9. Resolution 9, I think most people will be familiar with, with intersectionality and critical race theory. I told everyone that this was coming years ago, and everybody thought I was insane. Well, there it is. Well, don't think that just a binding resolution to get rid of Resolution 9 is going to take care of it. All they're going to do is rename it and bring it in another way. That's what politicians do. 
the culture of the church must change. Racial reconciliation, Sunday, which is tomorrow. And what Daryl Bernard Harrison would say so eloquently is that races as a whole, ethnicities as a whole, do not reconcile. Hearts reconcile. Individuals reconcile with one another. When, when you receive Christ in faith, it doesn't affect my mom and dad. I wish it would. It doesn't affect everybody else in my family. I wish it would. It changes me. It also means that there's a responsibility right now to not resist what the indwelling spirit says through his word. So again, this is psychological, spiritual, and cultural underpinnings of all other forms of social change. It demands a difference. Now, then there's the middle. So within the American atheist group, there was a moment where they went after their leader. And of course, they were trying to bring up into leadership, apparently, a woman that was from an Arabic background that as well was culturally Muslim. So the, the atheists are going, what are you talking about? This doesn't even make sense. Well, this is the same play all over the place. It's where you want to bring someone who is an oppressed minority, whatever the case may be, up to a position of leadership to say, see, now everything's okay. We don't have that hegemony in place anymore. And they'll use a certain phrase. If there's no room for this person, there's no room for the rest of us. Right? Well, this is the moment that happened on that New York City rooftop. That's the next thing. Cancel. Yeah, they'll oh, yes. just be canceled. They'll be canceled. They have the wrong happening. views. They're canceled. And what you're going to hear, if I might predict it, what you're going to hear over and over again is they're going to hold up some icon of some identity, a woman, a racial minority, sexual minority, something, and they'll say a church that doesn't have room for this person doesn't have room for any of us. A Southern Baptist convention that doesn't have a place for Beth Moore doesn't have a place for a lot of us because... But that actually was just said by Dr. Russell Moore at the Southern Baptist Convention. What did I tell you? In, in reference to Beth Moore. Who's She's a, a woman. Exactly. What did I tell you? Right. So the, the push for egalitarianism, the push for equity within the church. Right. So that's actually happening. And here's the scary part about the whole thing. So he thing. didn't even need a crystal ball or revelation to predict no, that. No, I have, the, I know the theory. Because we've, we, we've, uh, seen, we've it. seen it put into we've practice. We've seen it over and over again. We started in the skeptic movement. We've seen it. So, in other words, what's happening is that you're rolling in people that are experts into the denominational structure, into the leadership and so forth. No longer is it good enough to have someone who is well-trained in the scriptures that is going to help guide folks that has the exegetical tools and the ability to understand what the Word of God says. That's not so important. See, it's not important what John MacArthur says. It's not important to hear what old R.C. Sproul said at one point. See, because they didn't have the experiences that other had. So what you need now, and I'm not sure if you can see all this, is, you know, you would need to have an oppressed woman that would help you to understand how the Bible is really understood through her subjective experience. You would need to have a former homosexual male that will help you to understand how to reach homosexuals because you just won't understand because all you've got, you're from that white, systemic, racist side of things. You just, you're not going to understand those things. You're going to need to have a former homosexual female that will help you to understand the plight of those that are struggling with this. See, you can't have it just from some old white guy or even an old African-American guy. I'm sorry, I've been with Alan Keyes uh, for the past four days. He's on my board of directors and he hates the term African-American. He says, just call me black. Call me a black American. I'm an American who happens to be black. So whenever I say that, I pause for a second and know that he would be yelling at me. Stop it. Okay, so you also then have an Asian male that can say the experiences that he went through that are challenging and so forth. You would have a Latina female and let's hope that you'll have a half-Cuban male. Maybe I have a perspective that you can't even understand in the Bible, regardless of the tools of exegetical methodologies that you have. See, the whole thing that we just heard from Logos, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's talking to a gentleman who's Jewish, Joe, and he's taking him back to the Greek Septuagint, or maybe he can even take him to the Masoretic text as well and say, well, look, this is what it says. That's not important anymore because you don't have his experience. 
So what are you doing? Think about this. You're destroying everything that we have fought for for 2,000 years. And the Reformation, Martin Luther, Jan Hus, John Calvin, all the great men of the faith, the great preachers and teachers, that didn't matter at all. We can't learn anything from them. Maybe a little bit here and there. But it's from a different subjective understanding that we need to understand things. And that's why you would need to, if you're going to do this properly, you would need to have meetings just with folks that are women of color. Now, Anglo women were originally invited, but were told to sit down and listen. That's what happened. So instead of them being able to come and participate, now you had to sit and listen. Now, how does this work? And this is what, just a few more minutes here. Understand that intersectionality is built upon an Augustinian framework. And this is actually was talked about over the last several years. Behind closed doors, I was there. So where we would have original sin, I don't know if you can see that really well, but on the far left there, original sin. Well, in an intersectional woke culture, what do you have that replaces original sin? White, male, cisgendered. They're the ones that have the original systemic sin. So if you're not white, male, cisgendered, you're someone that's actually higher on the intersexual scale. You don't have that original sin. Next thing. For us, it's born again. If we're bringing the gospel to somebody and they see it and their eyes are open, they're born again. What do you have in intersectional culture? Woke. Sanctification. Where we're being sanctified together with Christ. We are already justified. You have being an ally or practicing your anti-racism work. You have redemption in our understanding of the Christian faith. But within them, it's never accomplished. You'll be racist until the day you die. There is no hope. Of course, we have our Martin Luther, who's our reformer. They have Martin Luther King. You have our canon of scripture. They have their canon of wokeness. You look at the authors such as D'Angelo and then some of the Christian authors such as Jamar Tisby and so forth. That's where you need to go. That's your idea laundering that you need to understand and perceive things through from now on. We had the Inquisition. I want you to think about this just for a second. We had the Inquisition when the reformers said, look, there's an objective truth here. Here's the Bible. It's all for all of you now. It's now in your vernacular language. It's not in Latin anymore. You can read it. What do you think spurned education across the world, especially across Great Britain and Germany? Why do you think that they were able to have advancements? It's because they all said, if it's in our language, I want to learn how to read. I want to understand this now. And so that's what happened. Well, now we're moving towards the Thinkquisition. The Thinkquisition. Your cognitive liberty is at stake. It's a top-down, bottom-up, inside-out move that's happening. This is something that I can tell you, brothers and sisters, you have to question yourself, and maybe when you thought about the Christian faith, and I'm going to wrap up right here. When you thought about the Christian faith, maybe you thought about climbing the ladder a little bit, maybe even within your Sunday school, maybe within your pastoral abilities, maybe where you are in entertainment or possibly in media, that you want to climb the ladder and be respected by others. Here's the key. Don't worry about being respected by others because your reputation is going to be destroyed. Let the reputation of Christ be lifted up. Okay? The gospel is the most important thing. There is nothing more important. So, regardless of your age, your physical condition, your financial situation, or your marital situation, I need to ask you one question right now as we close. What are you made of? Are you made of the substance of the gospel and of Christ? Wanting to spread the good news? Secondly, 
now that you've heard this, what are you going to do about it? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be before these humble people that have considered it important to be here on a Saturday, a day that was their own, a day that actually belongs to you. And as they belong to you, Lord, I pray that you will move us to be together. Help Pastor Danny. Help this church. Lord, bless Memphis and bless every city where this truth needs to go out to. Lord, help us to be successful. I ask this in your most holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we must win.